Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, the only blockchain event and media production company I trust. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into the crypto and blockchain space, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you won't be disappointed. As we go through the life of crypto, and for those who have been involved in the space a long time, you know one of the best things about this industry and the people that are in it is the people that you meet along the way. Sometimes you learn things from these people, and the beauty of it is that everyone comes from somewhere else. You have like crazy walks of life. You have people that are in this space from Russia, from Norway, from the United States, from South America, and in other industries or just, you know, uh, without crypto, you may not become friends with them. You may not know them. And we've had some really, really lovely guests. A lot of us make some really good friends along the way. And these are people that blow your mind every time you get on the phone with them. These are people that you know that a phone call can never last five minutes. And my next guest is someone like that. I've had such a special opportunity to know Brandon uh, since I think 2012, 2013, maybe. Um, We've been talking for many years and I had the pleasure of him and his wife being at my wedding a few years ago. Brandon Goldman has been an engineer, um, I think, most of his uh, adult life. He worked at Box, 2013 founded FreshPay, and right now he's working on a secret project that if you want to check more about what's going on, you can go to brandongoldman.com. Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, Charlie. I appreciate it. No, of course. So tell me, tell me, and I know this question is like, Everyone asks this question all the time, but from a from an from an engineering perspective, um, what grabbed you first about Bitcoin when you first when you first heard about it? So I, it actually took me hearing about Bitcoin twice before I became interested. I, I first found out about Bitcoin in 2011. Uh, there was a friend I was working with on a project, uh, and I. Um, he told me about Bitcoin. He thought I'd be interested uh, in large part because of the technical aspects and because I'm a libertarian. Uh, I think the price was about $2, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I asked him what he was using it for. And he said he was using Bitcoins to sell shrooms on the Silk Road. And it, it didn't seem very legitimate. Hypothetically uh, it, speaking, of course, right? Uh, hypothetically speaking. Educational um, purposes. Right. Uh, <laughs> So I, I, I looked into it then, and it, it just seemed like an app token for the Silk Road. And it, it seemed a little too shady for me, and I, I didn't want to get involved yet. So I, I remembered it, but I, I kind of just uh, didn't get involved and, and, and didn't read much more about it. Uh, but then in uh, early 2013, uh, Bitcoin started coming up a lot more in the news, and people started talking about it a lot more often. Uh, and it seemed to be getting a lot of more traction. Uh, people were trying to do things with it that were legitimate and, and not shady. Uh, and uh, at that time, I was in between professional commitments. And I became so interested in Bitcoin that I spent two weeks reading about it nonstop. Uh, and it, it was then that I decided I wanted to start getting into 
uh, Bitcoin professionally, uh, and I, I ultimately started a company. What time frame was this? Like what year? What month? Do you remember? Uh, it was uh, early 2013. Uh, I think it was March. Did or people April. tell you off? Did people tell you off saying like, "Why would you do that"? Um, I, I, I'm sure some people did. I mean, even even today in in 2019, I have people telling me that that they don't think Bitcoin is going to succeed, uh, and that they think I'm, I'm I'm wasting time and money. We're all wasting time and money here. That's what we're doing. We're just our our grandparents are waiting for us to get real jobs and stop messing around. <laughs> Actually, so, um, my my grandparents um, fully support Bitcoin, and I think it's great. Do they understand? Because there's that whole mantra, like when your grandmother can understand Bitcoin, then we've achieved critical mass or whatever it is. I, I'm not sure how well they understand it, um, but they they know that I'm doing well with it. And I'm, I'm a principled guy and uh, and they support what I'm doing. That's interesting because um, I've had my parents and some people, even till today, like you say, still say that this thing is like a big, the biggest waste of time and what are you doing? And a lot of it just comes from misinformation. But I feel like uh, it's interesting. Like you say, your your grandparents know enough about you and they know that you wouldn't waste your time on fickle things. So it's good enough for them. Um, and that may be enough of understanding for some people, right? Like you don't need to understand how an air, an airplane works to understand that you can fly in one, right? Yeah. I, I actually have a funny story about my grandmother. So in, uh, in 2017, right before the big run-up, I was talking to my grandma about Ethereum, and she said she'd already heard about it, I, I think from one of, uh, another of her grandsons or a friend or something, and um, uh, she was asking me if she should buy some, and I, I told her no. Uh, and then months later, when Ethereum peaked over 1,000, my grandma called me, and she's like, Brandon, I, I can't believe that you told me not to buy <laughs> What did you say? Uh, I, I said, you know what, like you, you would have made money on this, um, but I, I still don't think it was the right investment uh, for you. It, it doesn't fit uh, the, the risk profile that you need. How about now? Um, I, I still don't think it's the right risk profile for them, uh, but I uh, obviously I still believe crypto is a great investment. Sure. That's interesting too. Um, are your grandparents libertarian like you? Where did you get that from? Uh, no, they're, they're not libertarian. I, I became libertarian in college when I started reading a lot more uh, about politics uh, and about ethics. Uh, and I, I just decided that uh, after a lot of reading that um, libertarianism was uh, what I believed in. But that's that's a label and you don't seem like the type to attach labels to yourself. Or are you more of like a flavor of libertarianism and some other stuff put together? Or do you say I follow the, the principles of libertarianism 100%? You know, I I don't think I follow the principles a hundred percent. I I think I believe in them mostly, but for for any political philosophy, uh, not everyone thinks the same. Uh, people have different ideas of uh, of what it should be. So, for example, um, with Democrats now, um, a lot of people are are really interested in democratic socialism, which is not the same as um, classical liberalism. And, and I think the same applies to libertarianism, where you have uh, anarcho-capitalists uh, and um, uh, a variety of other flavors. You have voluntarianism through there, um, anarcho-capitalism, like you said, you even have anarchism, which I think is is something a different um, – it's a different one in, in and of itself. Um, but that's – 
do you think that someone needs to agree with the libertarian ideals in order to really fall in love with Bitcoin for the right reasons, as some people would say? And and the reason I ask this is because a lot of people um, who were around in the days that you were around got involved because of some ideology, whether it's political or religious or just something that they believe in. And then over the course of time, people got involved because they fell in love with the money. You know, you know, there's a lot of money to be made, a lot of money made and lost over the past few years. And so that brings in capitalism. And that's that's OK in my book. You know, I don't look different on those people versus other people, although I will say that the people that came in before there was a lot of, a lot of money in the space, um, I hold in a little bit of higher regard. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that uh, in the earlier days, people got involved almost entirely for ideological reasons because there simply wasn't a lot of money to be made. Um, people were hoping that it would pay off one day, um, but that would only be if, if our theories came true. And uh, I, I think a lot of people that got in early, uh, some people just bought and hold and, and treated it as a long-term investment. But people like you and me uh, invested our time and money and hopes to help build the future that we want to live in. And, and, and I think that's one of the things about, um, about Bitcoin uh, that, 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 that's really made it uh, successful. Uh, and it, it, it's an idea that's growing. Uh, and um, money is a, a shared illusion. And uh, if, if Bitcoin succeeds, it, uh, it, it's because we convince the rest of society that this is a shared illusion that has value. It's a better form of money. That's an interesting quote. Money is a shared illusion. A lot of people ask me what backs Bitcoin, and I say, well, you know, what backs the dollar? And everyone has different answers by that. Some people actually still say that Bitcoin, that the dollar is backed by gold. But really, the same thing that backs the dollar or backs gold, and even the value of gold is a shared illusion. Um, if something would crazy would happen, and everyone believed that gold has no more value anymore, gold can lose all of its value in one day. The same thing like anything else. That's true. Uh, so, like, if if uh, if there were ever a way to create gold uh, from scratch, like you know, if, if alchemy were real, then gold would lose almost all of its value. So, I recently sold some gold for Bitcoin. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I I bought gold. <coughs> excuse me, I bought gold like a lot higher than it is now, and I was like, you know, I don't even know why I have this. I'm just if you invest in something because no matter how good it sounds, but if you're investing in something because other people tell you to invest in it, it's never a good idea. Um, and I'm like, I'm saying to myself, you know, you, you have Bitcoin, you invest in real estate, you have all these things because you know that they're good investments, but why are you holding? I only had a little bit of gold, but why are you even holding this gold? What's the point? And I said back to myself, I'm having a conversation with myself. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I said to myself, well, you know, like millions of years, people have been using gold as an investment. So therefore, I should be holding gold as an investment. And then I said, well, I got to kind of challenge that belief. You know, you challenge these thoughts um, and you act as your own devil's advocate. And uh, and I challenged myself and I said, you know, it's better to maybe it's OK to have a little bit of gold, but there's no reason it's money that's not really working for you. I think that makes sense. Um, so it, uh, another thing that I wanted to touch on is I, I, the reason gold has value I. Um, it's it's because everyone agrees that it has value in, in that shared illusion idea. Uh, but the reason that that became uh, the shared illusion is because it had scarcity and it had good properties of money. Uh, and Bitcoin also has scarcity. 
And if, if, if Bitcoin didn't have scarcity, uh, it, it probably wouldn't be a, a, a very good form of money. What are some properties that something needs to have to have value? And what's the difference between the term value and the term money? Where does that term money come from? So uh, to be a, a good money, uh, I think that uh, it, it needs to be useful as a medium of exchange. Uh, it should be fungible. Uh, it should be scarce and uh, uh, several other attributes uh, that I, I forget what they are. Um, but you touched uh, on the most important ones, though. Yeah. Uh, and uh, with uh, there's things that have value that that would never be a good form of money. Uh, for example, real estate. It, it's extremely illiquid. Uh, it, it is scarce. Um, and w- which is one of the reasons it has value. Uh, but it, it, it would not be a, a good form of money. What do you feel about people trying to securitize real estate on 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 it with a cryptocurrency to make something like real estate that could be money money? Uh, I, I think securitizing uh, real estate uh, c- could be a good idea, um, but uh, it it wouldn't be very fungible. You'd have to rely on centralized parties, the issuers of the token, and then you'd have to rely on some sort of legal system. And then at the same time, if you wanted to con- actually convert that into the property itself, you have to rely on someone else. The The first layer of whatever it is that's, that you're using needs to be money in and of itself. It can't represent money. I think that's what I was trying to get at here. That makes sense. So Bitcoin is money. Uh, the dollar is money, although... Technically, the dollar represents a, a value, and we could talk about that in a second. Gold is money, but then you look at well, gold is it is. I think gold falls into the money category because I've paid people with gold before. Although uh, it's not, most people don't accept it. Although you can convert it back into dollars and then transact with that way. But those things are money. But then other things represent money. So, like a check, even a check is a check money. No, it's not. It's it represents money. Um, securitization of tokens represent money. What about like stable coins like Tether or USD coin or USDC or whatever? Are those money or those kind of represent money? Um, I, that's interesting. I, I, right now you can't really use them as money. I, there, there, there's not really a good way to spend stable coins. I, I, I'm a believer in stable coins and, and I hope that they succeed. Um, but I, like we, we just found out recently that, that Tether is fractional reserve. Tether well, we don't know 100% yet, right? No, I, I think their attorney um, released a statement saying that I, I think it's only 74% asset back now. But that's not, that's not to say that the other 26% is not somewhere else. It's just right now it's only 74% backed. That's true, but it, it should have always been a 100% asset backed. But do you blame them for wanting to, to – I don't know enough, but it's, it sounds like crypto capital is is the issue here. Um, from what from what from what I understand, and I didn't read all the documents um, completely. So, it, um, from what I've read, it it, it seems like uh, crypto capital is, is certainly a, a villain here, um, and it, it seemed like Bitfinex uh, owed uh, a lot of liabilities to their customers, and they they borrowed from uh, from Tether's balance and transferred that liability uh, from Bitfinex uh, to Tether. Um, okay, and- but Tether is still trading at 
97 cents to a dollar. So right now it's still a shared illusion. Enough people are saying that it's worth a dollar for it still to be worth a dollar. That's true. I'm actually really surprised that, that Tether has held its peg. And there there may be a variety of legitimate reasons for that. Uh, but in, in, in the long run, uh, if if Tether stays fractional reserve, uh, I'm not sure it'll keep its peg. So Tether Tether is basically a a a cryptocurrency on a blockchain that people trade with and it supposedly is one of the stable coins for those that don't know it's a it's a cryptocurrency that doesn't fluctuate in value it's always worth a dollar one usdt is worth a dollar and therefore you can theoretically there's enough money in the bank backed by this company tether limited that you can if you have a million tethers you can redeem it for a million dollars and what has come out recently is that there's some issues going on the new york the New York Attorney General's office is suing Tether and another exchange that's share a lot of the same owners, Bitfinex, and because there's some money missing. And therefore, right now, at this moment, if let's just say there is a billion Tethers in existence, if of all billion dollars came out and said, we want our billion dollars back, they'd only be able to actually give them 740 million, right? 74% or 76%. I, I don't remember somewhere. Whatever around. it is, yeah, somewhere around there. So therefore, it's fractional reserve. So you'd you'd think that the tether is is tr- should trade, you know, because markets these are efficient markets, right? These should trade at seventy four cents on the dollar, but it's not. It, it went down to I think like ninety six cents on the dollar, and it's an interesting thing. It's because again, this whole cryptocurrency space is like one big site uh, uh, sociological experiment. Uh, it's just one big experiment. Bitcoin hasn't even hit version one yet. So here is a very interesting adaptation of that experiment because you would think that markets are efficient when we allow them to be. There's no manipulation in this market. Well, there is manipulation, but in this instance, if 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 you would think that here it is, the, the lawyer for Tether is coming out saying that 74% of our Tethers are backed, you would see instantly people selling and for the market to for the market to stabilize itself at one tether being worth seventy four or seventy six cents on a dollar, but it's not the case. Why? That's what. That's what. Uh, it's so odd. I, uh, you know, t- to be honest, I, I'm not sure. I, 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 I think that that it's possible that that tether uh, is going to collapse slowly rather than quickly, uh, or maybe there's just not enough selling pressure, and if it reaches a certain threshold. Um, maybe it'll collapse. Uh, um, maybe it's being propped up by various players. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but w- what, I, w- what I will tell you is that uh, uh, I am confused um, why it's still a dollar, and I, um, I think that in the long run, uh, if Tether doesn't fix that gap, uh, it's not going to stay pegged to the dollar. Do you, do you think that maybe it has something to do with the fact that people have more faith in Tether and or Bitfinex? of bringing it back up to the peg. Therefore, they're willing to take that risk of even buying it even 95 cents on a dollar because then they'd be making 5% eventually if it goes back to a dollar. You think it's because people trust... Don't forget, Bitfinex has had an issue before where they got hacked, lost a bunch of money, issued their debt as a token, and eventually paid everyone back. So people have pretty good faith in, in Bitfinex right now. Maybe that has something to do with it. Yeah, I, I, I think that that could have something to do with it for sure. I, I, I remember when Bitfinex got hacked. I remember when they issued that token. Uh, and I, 
uh, it ended up working out for them. Um, most companies would have failed at that point, but Bitfinex made it work. And maybe people think that something like that could happen again. There and 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 the talk is now that Bitfinex essentially wants to take that twenty five percent gap, issue a new token, and essentially do the same thing all over again. How do you feel about that? I I, I don't really like that approach. Me neither. Uh, to be honest, um, but if they do it and it works, uh, great. Um, but I, I I personally have issues with that approach. So I have I like you, um, and I and I've been public about this. I have some moral objections to issuing tokenized debt. Um, and do you do you kind of see where I'm going with this? I don't want to tell you my position first. I want I kind of want to hear your side on what you think of that. But I, I do. I have I have some moral I have some moral issues with that. So I I think I I think I partially agree with you. So there, there, there are certain kinds of tokenized debt that I have no problem with. Like, for example, uh, so l- let's say you go to a bank and you get a loan uh, and that loan is on the blockchain and it's tokenized in some way uh, and it's preemptively consented by all parties. Uh, I would have no ethical issue with that. Um, but if, if someone owed you money uh, um, that, and, and you, you didn't consent to that loan and now it gets tokenized, um, I think there are ethical issues with that. So the, the people that hold Tether uh, did not consent to loaning um, Bitfinex uh, $850 million and turning it into fractional reserve. F- from my understanding, they um, they just changed their terms of service and they uh, negotiated some deal that the CEO of uh, Tether and Bitfinex uh, signed on, on behalf of both organizations. And, and that doesn't seem like a legitimate deal to me. But what if there's no other choice? What if the choice is either bankruptcy or tokenizing the debt? To be honest, I I think that Bitfinex um, should have held that debt. If it made them insolvent, so be it. But they should not have uh, taken any money from Tether. Uh, I I think in the worst case scenario, uh, Bitfinex could have died and uh, Tether could have either been handed off to um, new owners or new custodians. Uh, or uh, just refund uh, all the tether holders in full through some redemption process. I think that's what that's what the issue is here is that tether was whole all the time. It never had an issue, but Bitfinex came in and said, "Hey, I got some really bad debt here um, that we can't fulfill customer obligations on the exchange Bitfinex," and so they had tether essentially lend them money to to, to cover that, and that's where the issue. So basically. Tether gets screwed and Bitfinex is is made whole. Why, why do you think they chose when they are coming up with the choice of which one to essentially take the heat? Why do you think they chose Bitfinex over Tether over Bitfinex? Greed. Greed. Interesting. I would think that I would think that I guess you're right because Bitfinex probably makes more profit. Tether doesn't make much money. Um, and at the end of the day, Bitfinex is the one they rather save. I think that which one is worse? If you hold your money at Bitfinex, <clears throat> then you're already kind of used to the debt, right? You've you've been through this before. But if you're at Tether, their main job is to at Tether is to have this the stable coin. So it's interesting that they thought maybe they'd think that it wouldn't actually come out that the that the New York's attorney's office wouldn't do anything. Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility. Um, now, uh, Bitfinex has been through this before and they, they could have issued, uh, another token in the same way they did in the past. 
Uh, I'm not sure if the market would have bought it or not. Um, but what what they definitely should not have done is uh, take money from from Tether, and I I, I think that was a, a huge violation of trust. And just as you said, uh, the main purpose of Tether is to hold dollars one to one and tokenize it on the blockchain, and it's not doing that anymore. And and I, I just think that's a really serious problem, uh, and and uh, a bigger trust issue um, than Bitfinex having funds frozen. And that's where my moral obligations to to tokenizing debt come in because. I feel like there are two there there are two main issues that I feel are are at hand. One one issue is if you have a lot of debt and you have creditors and you say to yourself, you know what, um, or you don't even you're not even insolvent, but you pretend to be insolvent. You pretend to be insolvent. You tokenize your debt. You sell it, and then you create some fake news that make you sound really bad, and then essentially you buy back your debt at pennies on the dollar because everyone thinks that you won't actually be able to pay. So they decide to sell. And now you just went from your debt being a hundred percent to your debt being 50%. That's one yeah. issue. Yeah. I, I, I don't like that at all. I, I agree with you. That's why you have bankruptcy courts. So potentially tokenizing debt, you could potentially see a court in whatever jurisdiction potentially do it. So they have to do the due diligence on that. So you go to bankruptcy court, you go to tokenizing debt court and you say, listen, we, you know, we were bankrupt or we're, we're insolvent and we want to tokenize our debt. Can we do that? And then they do all the due diligence and they kind of check that for you. That could be a solution, but then you're trusting on a, a centralized third party. And Wait. the second issue is, is what you said, essentially. And that's where I see some of the major issues. A lot of people were saying that Mt. Gox should have tokenized their debt, but so now we see the other side of that. We see Mt. Gox in bankruptcy for what, like six years already? How long has it been? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it was late 2013 when Mt. Gox failed. I, I actually had some money in there, and that was my first experience uh, losing money due to a hack. And your creditor still of Mt. Gox, or have you sold it to one of these like hedge funds on pennies on the dollar? I, I did not sell it. I, I don't need pennies on the dollar. That, that, that doesn't do anything for me. Um, what would do something for me is, is if I somehow got those bitcoins back. So I, I I'm, I'm definitely a creditor uh, for Mt. Gox still to this day, and, and, and I'm hoping that it's resolved uh, in, in the favor of me and and my other fellow creditors. Will you get your bitcoin back, or will it be dollars? Um, I think there was a recent change where, where now they're going to give um, bitcoins back in, in, instead of dollars. How will that affect the market? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I. I think when they were going to give dollars back, and then they had a whole bunch of Bitcoin, uh, and then they uh, they sold those Bitcoin, uh, and that could have contributed to part of the crash last year. And if if they still have more Bitcoin and and they had to sell those, um, that 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 could easily cause a, a downward market correction because it's just so much downward pressure. Um, but if you just distribute Bitcoins and uh, people don't sell them right away, and I don't think most people will, then then I think that. Uh, will be good for the market and not bad for the market. These Mt. Gox creditors, though, aren't they already Bitcoin holders? Uh, a lot of people are saying that if you give Bitcoin to all these people that were creditors, they're not going to sell it because now you have more Bitcoin holders that'll get involved in Bitcoin. Exactly. So if, if people are given Bitcoin, I think they're usually just going to hold it. Uh, but in order to give them cash, you'd have to sell it and create all this downward pressure in the market. And so I, I think it's best to avoid that. Uh, and, and so I... I'm I'm really glad that uh, I think we'll be getting back Bitcoin. Do I wonder how you write how you deal with taxes on that front? Do you write off 
that is a bad investment is bad debt. And then if you get the money back, then you can say, oh, I um, you somehow do that on your tax return this year. I mean, no one really knows how to deal with taxes. You and I have had so many conversations about taxes. We're not even finished yet. about <laughs> How you deal with taxes. Um, I feel like um, even Congress doesn't know how to to pay their, their crypto taxes because a bunch of congressmen have even said that they own Bitcoin. Yeah. So uh, it does seem like a pretty big unknown right now. I, I, I don't need to get into the details uh, uh, about how you and I do our crypto taxes, but I, I'd recommend to anyone listening, uh, if you have to do crypto taxes, uh, talk to a good accountant, uh, maybe talk to a tax attorney uh, and, and, and decide what, um, what approach you want to take. That you or think both. Of. Get an or accountant and, a, and an attorney. That's what I did. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about FreshPay when you first got into that. What was, what was the plan for that? So uh, I started FreshPay uh, in the summer of uh, 2013, um, only a couple months after I bought my first Bitcoin. And actually, but before I get into FreshPay, uh, I'd like to tell the story of when I bought my first Bitcoin because it involves you. Really? Uh, it does. So I, uh -oh. I, bought, I bought my first Bitcoin uh, through BitInstant, which was your company. And I, I remember uh, you had a partnership with uh, ZipZap. And so I, I created a transaction and I had to go pay in cash uh, at Walgreens uh, using MoneyGram. So now that, that's four companies involved. BitInstant, the red phone. That's right. The red phone. Uh, uh, BitInstant, ZipZap, Walgreens, uh, and MoneyGram. Um, Walgreens had no idea what I was talking about. Um, no. My, my <laughs> wife was with me, but she thought it was really shady. So she stayed in the car uh, and I went inside with my cash. I picked up the red phone. Uh, I, I paid at the front desk, uh, and then my Bitcoins were delivered to my Mt. Gox account. Uh, and, and some of those were the ones uh, that, uh, that were stolen or hacked. So, so wait, so tell people exactly like how you would buy Bitcoin in those days. Like we joke about the red phone, but no one really understands what that is. I, I think on Reddit, I posted a picture of the MoneyGram red phone and I said, who remembers this? And surprisingly, a lot of people did. Yeah, um, I, 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 I distinctly remember that. Uh, it, 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 it was definitely a high friction way to, to buy Bitcoin. Um, but at, at the time, I, I, I guess that was like the, the easiest way to do it. Uh, but luckily now it's become a lot easier. You, you have companies like Coinbase that make it really easy for people to just make an account, um, attach their bank account or, or pay with a credit card and get Bitcoin really quickly. Although I, I even remember back then um, when, when Coinbase was in its early days, uh, you'd have to wait. Uh, up to a week to get your Bitcoin uh, uh, after you paid. Yeah, because of the bank transfer system. Right. And Coinbase was my first real competitor. Coinbase started and a few months later, I pretty much shut down BitInstant because it became obsolete at that point. Yeah. So was Fresh Pay another way for you thinking to get people to buy Bitcoin much easier? So... Um... So I, I bought my first Bitcoins in, in early 2013. And then a, a couple months later, it, uh, it was the summer uh, of 2013. Uh, and um, uh, my business partner, George, uh, uh, called me on the phone one day. And he's like, Brandon, I, I, uh, I want to talk to you about starting a company uh, uh, in crypto. Uh, I want to create a Bitcoin debit card. And I, I was really intrigued. You know, I, I was looking to start a company in the space. Uh, and um, uh, George and I were both looking to start our next thing, and uh, we we talked about it a, a lot. 
Uh, he flew out from New Jersey to Los Angeles, where I lived at the time, uh, and we started the company. And um, the idea for FreshPay was to have um, a debit card that I could spend down from a Bitcoin balance in order to allow uh, people to spend their Bitcoins anywhere, um, which was not possible at the time and, and still is not possible today. And then did you run into any issues like what um, with MasterCard or, or Visa? Uh, absolutely. So um, we thought that uh, we could launch the card in 90 days. And in hindsight, uh, that was completely unrealistic. And uh, we, um, we, we, we raised some money. Uh, um, we found bank partners. Um, and uh, that um, finding bank partners and, and getting MasterCard approval uh, ended up being um, a two-year process. And so it, in the interim, we, we, we still wanted to build, uh, build our app and, and uh, build our card and, and, and get it working. And it turned out that these regulatory things uh, uh, were going to be on the tail end. Uh, instead of at, at the beginning. And so uh, I, I actually remember that we got uh, our first working uh, debit card uh, uh, through a, a partner who, who gave us some cards to test with. We, we couldn't launch with it, but we were allowed to test with it. And I, I brought that card to BTC Miami uh, in, in early 2014. And uh, George and I started buying drinks for people with the Bitcoin debit card um, using a blockchain.info wallet that I had on my phone. And so um, we were at the bar and I would swipe the card, uh, pay for a drink. And meanwhile, just keep refreshing the wallet on my phone until we saw the balance go down uh, by the Bitcoin value uh, of the transaction. And people were really excited. And, and we were hoping uh, uh, to launch soon. And our hope was that by making Bitcoin uh, easier to spend, uh, that, that people would feel more comfortable um, uh, getting into Bitcoin, and 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 we thought if you know if this is the future of money, um, it, it should be easy to spend, and and unfortunately to this day, it, it it still is not easy to spend. It still is not easy to spend, and I think that it's because something to do with the legacy networks that still exist today. They don't, they're very resistant to change, and as much that it's it's happening, it's still almost impossible to do it. Right. Um, although I, I also think that um, as Bitcoin has matured, uh, uh, the the culture has has become that um, Bitcoin is more a store of value, and and maybe in the future it, uh, it'll be used as a medium of exchange uh, to purchase things. Um, but 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 right now it, it's it's just primarily a store of value, and and people are okay with that. And it, it could be a number of years uh, before people can spend their Bitcoin in the real world. See, I. I'm very into the whole store of value thing um, and medium of exchange thing with the scarcity. And up until very recently, I agreed with you and I said, you know, like as long as it's a store of value and it's a medium of exchange secondary, it's good enough. You know, you look at gold, but I'm not happy with Bitcoin being just digital gold. And I don't, I don't want that to be a lot of people are okay with it saying it's digital gold that's its place in the world and let's let's move on from that and let's let that be it and we don't really need to focus on it being a really good something for transactional and i think that if bitcoin just focuses on it being a sto uh, digital gold it'll fail that's an interesting point of view um i 
I, I don't think that Bitcoin will fail uh, as uh, even if it's just a digital gold. I, I, I think it's entirely possible uh, that the way cryptocurrency is used to transact in the future uh, is via some kind of stablecoin or some kind of layer two solution like the Lightning Network. Um, and it, you know, it's entirely possible that that, that Bitcoin itself is um, is not used for day to day transactions, uh, or, or 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 if it is, maybe it's uh, after uh, Bitcoin has eclipsed gold uh, and and has become one of the largest stores of value in the world. And, well, something and, like and, something like the Lightning Network was is, is still Bitcoin, so that would be great. Good user experience, high security. It's still transacting in Bitcoin. I don't consider that a non Bitcoin thing. That's true. That's a good point. Um, but I feel like we can't we can't give up the idea of having a a really good um, utility of moving money around the world very quickly and cheaply. Um, that's not to say that Bitcoin Cash is the answer. It's actually Bcash and Satoshi Vision or whatever that these these crap things are are, are scams in and of in, in and of themselves. Um, but at the same time. I think that we really need to continue focusing on, and, and I think we are, the Lightning Network and things like that, focusing on making sure that Bitcoin is growing and scaling and, and maintaining its properties. The whole digital gold thing, we, we, we shouldn't focus on that specifically. We should still focus on it being a, a, good, medium, a good medium of exchange, or else I, I do think, and I've seen in other situations, um, things fail because they just become stores of value. And then people say, well, if there's something else that's better to transact with, why am I storing this? I might as well use this as a store of value instead. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I, I think that that Bitcoin can be both a, a good store of value uh, and a medium of exchange, um, but it uh, it doesn't need to be a day to day medium of exchange uh, to succeed. I, 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 I do think it's possible to succeed primarily uh, as a store of value, uh, but you know that 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 remains to be seen, and and that's going to be a number of years in the future. Do you think Bitcoin – well, let me ask you this. So we're, we've been recording for 40 minutes at this point, and we've actually not said the word blockchain once. We've been only using Bitcoin. And some episodes that we do here, it's blockchain in the first minute, and Bitcoin is just like maybe a slip of the tongue or like a, it's a blockchain and things like that. Some other people – some other guests, we actually never even say the word blockchain. We we always use Bitcoin. And I'm curious about that. How do you feel about blockchain? And do you think we can have blockchain without Bitcoin? I think it's possible to have blockchain without Bitcoin. Really? Um, I, I I think we need both. I, I, I think that uh, I think that they're gonna succeed together. Um B- B- Bitcoin is the leading cryptocurrency, uh, uh, not not just because of its properties, but also because of the network effect, and uh, it's it, it's the best form of money that that I think we have, and it's going to be really hard for other cryptocurrencies to capture that network effect. And so, what while I think blockchain is incredibly valuable, and I think there are many valid use cases uh, for other cryptocurrencies, uh, uh, like. Uh, altcoins or um, uh, Ethereum, uh, especially a lot of the smart contracts that, that are being built, uh, those are all really valuable. Um, but I, I'm not sure that, that that's a big threat uh, to Bitcoin. Is Bitcoin a religion? Uh, define religion. I can't. 
I grew up, <laughs> I grew up, as you know, I grew up a religious and I think the way I would define religion is having devotion and faith to something that you don't understand or cannot see. It's essentially blind faith. Um, and why blind faith? I don't know. Um, but that's what the most, some of the most devout religions in the world are ex basically extreme blind faith. Now I, uh, I left, I left the uh, orthodoxy about six or seven years ago and and i'm comfortable with that decision i'm still very culturally jewish and and uh but not much traditional anymore I still celebrate all the holidays but i celebrate christian holidays just as much um but i love i love the jewish culture however um when i meet someone who's religious um whatever that religion is when i meet someone who's religious in in buddhism and islam and christianity even I, I know people that are Scientologists. I know people that are, well, actually, I don't even like to consider Scientology a religion. Um, but I meet, you know, I meet, um, I meet some people who are, um, who did I meet recently? Oh, Mormon. Um, actually, they don't even like to, they don't even, apparently they don't like to use the term Mormon anymore. So I've met people who are of the um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I've met some, some of them. And my point is, is that I have an, an immense amount of respect for people who are religious, even though their religion could be, in my eyes, wildly crazy. I could completely not understand their religion. They could believe in a spaghetti monster. But again, if I meet you and you have such a devotion, discipline, or blind faith to something, and it gives you a moral compass, and you follow that without understanding it completely, for me, that's a huge respect in my book because I know what it's like growing up religious and how difficult it is. Um, and I feel like and so that that you get some you get some uh, respect in my book for that, but I feel like I feel like with Bitcoin, there is some of that like blind faith that you have to follow, and so there could be some tentacles of of religion in 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 Bitcoin. That's a really interesting point. I uh, that 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 religion I uh, you think requires uh, blind faith. I think that faith in Bitcoin uh, is not blind faith. Um, I think it's entirely rational, and I, and so I, if if I have faith in Bitcoin for rational reasons, uh, maybe it would maybe it does not meet your definition of a religion. Uh, however, maybe other people do have blind faith, and then for them it would meet your definition of a religion. Well, why is why is why is it defined by rational thinking? And rational thinking is a very interesting um, topic to to discuss, but. So what you're saying is essentially there are two types of people in this world, right? There's people who <clears throat> rational thinkers, and then there are some people who can have a, a faith or belief in something. And, and I was one of them growing up and one of the reasons that I left religion. Um, but their response is basically saying, okay, if you had basically our brains don't have the capacity to understand these certain things at this point, and if we had the brain power to understand these things, we could potentially be God. That's some of the things that, that some of the people say. Or they say, well, hey, there are some things that we didn't understand a hundred years ago, but now we do understand them. So maybe there are some of these religious topics that aren't rational now, but could be cons considered rational a hundred years from now. And it's just because human beings, we haven't been able to get to that point scientifically. Um, Maybe maybe that's the case, but I agree with you that Bitcoin is one hundred percent rational, except for the fact that 
you know, I go back to this quote that it's like a shared illusion, like you said, right? So we all have to have basically mass belief in something. That, that's true. Um, but I, I think there are, are uh, rational reasons for why that shared illusion uh, is in Bitcoin. Um, whereas uh, for uh, the, the religions that you mentioned, uh, that, that's completely on blind faith. Uh, and I, I, there, you, you can't derive those rationally, but Bitcoin can be derived rationally. So how can you have rational people still be extremely religious in whatever faith they are in? So, uh, for example, you and I are both Jewish, and uh, the Jewish people believe uh, that our ancestors uh, have have um, experienced certain miracles and have passed word of this down through the generations. Uh, and if, if you think that that's an unbroken chain uh, that hasn't been tainted in any way, um, then then it may be rational uh, to, to believe in that. And, uh, and, and so I, I think that's a good example of how rational people uh, can be religious. Can the Old Testament be like a, an early blockchain? Because you had Christians and Jews, right? Or before Christianity, you had Jewish people living all over the world, right? Like literally from sub-Saharan Africa to, to Asia to the United States. And be, even before the U.S. was the U.S., you had people, some people say even Columbus was potentially Jewish. But here hmm. it is that the, the 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 Bible, the Old Testament, has pretty much unchanged, right? It it hasn't changed much. So maybe it was like a an early decentralized blockchain. How cool is that? So I I would actually argue uh, that that the Bible is not a blockchain because uh, uh, the core requirement of a blockchain is that it's immutable, and uh, there's now a significant amount of evidence uh, showing that the Bible uh, uh, has changed. Are we talking um, about the Old Testament or the New Testament? Uh, I think both. Okay. I, I, think, I think most religious texts have changed in some format uh, in a way um, that violates immutability. And like, for example, uh, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Are, are you familiar with those? Of course. So I, I think just that example uh, shows that uh, the, the Old Testament has been changed. Uh, and and, and uh, we don't have a full record of what all those changes were. And and therefore, um, it is not a blockchain. So the Dead Sea the Dead Sea Scrolls were a series of scrolls that were found what like fifty years ago or sixty years ago in a cave in Israel somewhere, and apparently they've been untouched for hundreds or even thousands of years. And they tell a little bit of a a lot of bit of a different story of what actually happened in the days of the Old Testament. So you can look at it two ways. You can look at it as, um, hey, you can look at it as uh, a break in the, immu- the immutability of it, or you can look at the Dead Sea Scrolls as the earliest versions of Bitcoin Cash. That's interesting. Um, Maybe like a uh, fork. How, how many how many other scrolls are there uh, that we haven't found uh, that that have uh, older versions uh, of the Old Testament or any other religious text that will that will never be found? Um, but but with with uh, w- with Bitcoin, I. Uh, Every uh, every block is there. You can trace it back to the beginning. Well, right uh, now, though, right now, what if we're in like a thousand years from now and we have this chain that we believe is the longest chain, but people start to unearth copies of different chains, you know, like I'm just trying to put it in that perspective. This is a very interesting rabbit hole we're going down right now, by the way. Yeah, 
Um, you know, I, I haven't thought too much about what Bitcoin might be like far in the future, uh, or if if we become, uh, you know, a spacefaring species, and uh, you know, th th things have to exist. I, I, you know, it, very far away, where 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 the speed of light is a big bottleneck. I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how to resolve those things, um, but I'm confident that they can be resolved. Like a, a simple example is maybe there's a, a Bitcoin for Earth, and and maybe there's other blockchains for other planets, and then and then there there, there there's ways in, in in which they can transact together. Do you believe that if something loses its its immutability, it's still considered a blockchain? I think that or if a valid it's, blockchain, I. Uh, I I think that a, a valid blockchain must be immutable. Okay, what about Ethereum? Are, are you referring to the, uh, the fact that Ethereum was forked and and uh, uh, some people think Ethereum Classic is is the original? Well, so a few years ago, Ethereum was chugging along. There was one of the first um, token sales, which was the DAO, the, the autonomous. Wow. The digital autonomous organization and decentralized autonomous organization. And a lot of people put money into it. It was hacked. And the small community of Ethereum developers and miners decided to forego immutability for the sake of saving the chain or bailing out all these people. Um, the counter argument that I've heard from Vitalik and from a lot of other people is that Essentially, it was a debate between immutability and consensus. And because there was consensus in because enough people said that we should fork the chain for this, then it actually stayed immutable because it was it was not broken by a minority or an orphan. It was broken by consensus, enough people. Uh, yeah, I mean, so it, I, I think there's good arguments on both sides uh, and I. Uh, uh, you know, some people think Ethereum Classic is the original because it hasn't changed. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, uh, hard, hard forks uh, are allowed. And uh, Ethereum did a hard fork. And the community and the network effect uh, went with um, what we what is the current Ethereum, uh, not Ethereum Classic. Uh, and, I, you know, th that was in the that was in the earlier days of, of Ethereum, I think as a blockchain becomes more mature. Uh, and the, the the more time that goes by, uh, the harder it is to do something like that. I, I I'm not sure if the, if the Ethereum community uh, would do another hard fork in a way that undid transactions again. And I'm I'm really confident that that Bitcoin certainly wouldn't do that. Doesn't it set like a bad precedent though? Yeah, I I think that it's it's very arguable that that, that sets a bad precedent. I uh, I was I was kind of torn on that one. Uh, with, with with the DAO, um, but I, I if I had to choose, uh, I probably would have chosen uh, not to undo the transaction and and to let that be a lesson to people. That would have been that would have been such a good precedent, and basically showing the world that look here is one of the worst things that could possibly happen, and the chain must go on, and we're not going to forsake immutability for even bailing out all these people. And who knows if that in an alter it's in an alternative world, maybe they didn't bail it out and maybe Ethereum would have died because people lost their money and would have lost their faith if they didn't get, get bailed out. And that would have been a really good example. People would have been writing, I don't know, thesis papers about that today, like Ethereum 
Uh, maybe we're having a conversation in an alternate world of saying, what happens if Ethereum did bail out? Do you think people would still go go with it or a different chain? It's an interesting thought experiment to think about. Yeah. Although if, if I think that uh, uh, if, if Ethereum uh, didn't hard fork and they let all those people lose the money from that hack and let that be a lesson, and if it lost support and it died, I, it, it's entirely possible and likely that someone would have relaunched it uh, and uh, we, we might still be uh, here today uh, without having to um, make changes to the chain. What was Bitcoin Miami like in 2013? That conference. I, uh, you, you want to ask that question again with 2014 because that was the first one. Oh, you're right. What was the Bitcoin Miami 2014 conference like? From what I remember, that was at the height of the largest bubble um, that we had before this previous one, and that was one of the first major conferences we had. Um, I was actually I missed that conference because I was arrested that same weekend, so I was sitting in like a, a jail cell. Yeah, I, I I remember I I remember reading that news at uh, uh from my hotel room, uh and uh but but yeah that I I think that the first Bitcoin Miami was was a really fun conference, um uh the the, the most fun thing was from what I mentioned earlier about how I uh, was able to show off my company's Bitcoin debit card, um but it, in general um we we just had a really fun time uh, uh, at that conference there were like rooftop parties, uh and uh, I I. I, I, you know, I, I was seeing so many familiar faces, uh, and uh, everyone was really excited because um, uh, uh, of what had been happening with the price. And I, I think that that was echoed uh, uh, recently uh, for um, uh, BTC Miami of 2018, um, which was at the peak uh, uh, the last time around. And you know, there there were yacht parties um, and and all, all, all kinds of things, mansion parties. And um, uh, a friend of mine had had rented uh, a Lamborghini and, and was driving it around, um, and and I remember thinking, this is peak crypto. Did um, you really think that? Uh, yeah, but but I thought, are there going to be new peaks? Uh, a good like, point. is it going to go even higher? Is it going to keep peaking, or is it going to crash? Um, but w- what I did know is that uh, it, it was it, it was insane, and I I. I, I I wasn't sure if it was going to continue or not, and and I think that a lot of people felt the same way, and it, it was right about that time of of BTC Miami, uh, 2018 that that the market started declining, and it um it, it it has not recovered back to those levels yet. It's an interesting indicator the attendance of these conferences, um, over what people are feeling in the space. So I went to Bitcoin Miami 2019 a few months ago. And it was at the height of the bear market and the price was super low. And, you know, the conference was held in the James L. Knight Center. And um, in 2018, like you said, it was in this huge hall, you know, like I think the attendance was in the thousands, maybe more than that. And uh, I spoke in front of three, four thousand people that day in a huge, huge, huge room that's like reserved for major concerts. And then I went last year. And we were in a little small room downstairs in the basement in the corner. There were no windows. And the, there was a few few hundred people there. It was a far cry from the from the vibe. Now, a lot of people were looking at that. The press were reporting and saying, oh, this is so bad. The crypto space is dying. There's no one here. 
But I looked at it and I said, wow, like, you know, this is a good vibe again because the the people that were there were like real believers in crypto. It wasn't a negative vibe. It wasn't. I was afraid of going because I thought it was going to be like a negative oh, bear market blues, you know, but it wasn't like that. It was still the excitement was still there. It was just a lot less people. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, we experienced the same thing uh, in, in, in that crypto winter. I, 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 that, that first time around when, when Bitcoin spiked to a thousand and then it, it, it dropped a lot for, for two years and uh, the people that remained, um, were the true believers and, uh, the true believers had a lot of success in, in, uh, uh, uh late 2017. Uh, and, uh, and then a lot of the true believers lost a lot of money in, in 2018 if, 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 if they didn't cash out and, uh, you know, we're kind of in another crypto winter now. Um, but it, it ebbs and flows. It, it goes in cycles, and, and I, I think it will peak again. And I, I think that it, it's possible that it, it continues that pattern, or maybe um, maybe it succeeds uh, or, or fails permanently. Brandon, do you ever get burnout? All the time. How do you deal with it? So I, you know, I'm I, I married. I, I have a kid. Uh, he, he just turned eight months old. Um, I I have a lot of friends and family. And if, if, if I'm feeling burned out from work, I, um, I like to spend time with my family and friends. So those are more short-term burnouts, but what do you think of some people who have been involved in the space as long as you have and are just generally burnt out from crypto in general because of the, the way it used to be versus the way it is now? Uh, you know, if, if people are burned out from crypto, I, uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people just sell everything they have at, at a loss or, or to gain and, and leave the space. Um, some other people will just uh, decide to hold what they have or maybe convert to Bitcoin and, and, and just leave it there and not look at it for a while. Um, and th- those kinds of things seem to be quite common. Most people in crypto uh, aren't in crypto professionally. M- most people in crypto um, have, have bought it as an investment. But the, com- the community or the industry has grown a lot. There are people that work in the space full time, uh, like yourself. You, you're full time. You, you earn your income from, from crypto, correct? In the crypto industry. That's right. Did you ever have at a point say to yourself, what should I do next if crypto is not here anymore? We're in a bear market. It's going to die. I'm going to go back to working at Box or somewhat, some, someplace else and not in the crypto space. So the, uh, it's interesting that you brought that up because that kind of did happen. So uh, during the crypto winter, uh, uh, when my company FreshPay had failed, um, I, I ended up doing a lot of freelance work. I, I, I ended up doing work on Gigster, and I spent uh, uh, a lot of time uh, uh, doing freelance projects, and I ultimately became ranked uh, one of the top 10 developers uh, on, on Gigster. Um, uh, and, and, and that's what I did for income. Um, uh, while, while waiting for the market to recover. Uh, and, and then I, I ended up jumping back into crypto full time uh, in uh, summer of uh, 2017. And um, that, that actually reminds me of a story I wanted to tell. Uh, it, it was the summer of 2017. Uh, I, I had just gotten back into crypto full time um, like, like that month. And uh, I was going to Israel for three weeks uh, to spend uh, two weeks at the Dead Sea and, and some time traveling around. Um, and, and working remotely from the Dead Sea as well. Uh, and I stopped in New York for a, a wedding. Uh, and um, you happened to be in New York at the same time. Uh, and uh, th- the day after the wedding, um, uh, 
uh, you and me and our wives went out to dinner, and then we went to this um, this massive uh, three story party uh, at at a club where the whole club was rented out and everyone was drinking and 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 celebrating and and, and I saw a, a lot of old friends and and it was really fun and it was totally random uh, because I I was just passing through for two nights of, on 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 the way to Israel for um for a, a wedding. I remember this. What what was that party? I remember this, and we went to get hot pot too. Yeah. Uh, the, what the, was that party? It, it was uh, um, it was a party thrown by uh, I think Brock Pierce, uh, uh, in order to celebrate um, uh, the Bitcoin. pizza day. That's that's right. It, it was, was like it pizza the, day. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the pizzas became worth a certain amount of money, and, and they wanted to have a party to celebrate it. So at this point, you're kind of like working on Gigster, and you're about to travel to Israel. And you, you just so happen to be passing through New York, and did that did that party kind of like revive your love of Bitcoin a little bit? Like, like did that have a, a, an effect on you? It it did. It it it, it was very exciting. Um, you, you know, it, I, I I had actually just started a full time job uh, at um, at Blockfolio as the lead software architect, and so I had just made the decision to get back into Bitcoin full time, uh, and then I went to this party. And I, I, I felt very validated in my decision. The, the price was going up. Everyone was happy. Everyone's having a good time. I saw old friends. And, and, I, and then I was on the plane going to Israel. And I was thinking, that was awesome. Like, th- this is going to be great. And at the same time, uh, Ethereum was uh, going on its uh, uh, major run-up. Crazy, yeah, crazy run-up. I, I was checking my Ethereum balance like every day during that trip. And uh, um, you know that 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 paid for the trip by orders of magnitude. So you were so you were in Israel, and um, it was during the same time you were you were floating the Dead Sea, checking the Ethereum price. Did anything else happen on that trip? Yeah. Uh, so it, uh, I was in Israel for three weeks, and that three weeks overlapped my birthday, uh, and I. Apparently, there was also a, a Bitcoin conference going on in Tel Aviv uh, at the same time. Uh, and so uh, I sent out some messages and I ended up having a birthday party uh, in Israel. I, I didn't expect to have a birthday party. I, I just thought I would hang out uh, with my wife or maybe a couple of friends that, that were living there. But I, I ended up getting like a dozen people uh, at my birthday party just because I had friends that happened to be in town for this conference. Uh, and we ended up going to dinner, got some vegan food, uh, and then went out to... Uh, a couple of bars and, and ended up having a great time. And it, it, it was totally uh, unexpected, but it felt really nice. I love the brotherhood that the crypto community brings. You can literally be in like Norway or Iceland on your birthday and you want to have a birthday party and people will show up and they're your best friends. Yeah, it was great. So you went, one of the reasons you went to Israel was for, for health reasons. And you're like checking the price of Ethereum and you're like, honey, I feel great. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I'm in, in fact that the good feelings from seeing uh, my my Ethereum pro um, my uh, Ethereum balance uh, go up in value that that could easily have have, have contributed to my health because uh, uh, it put me in in such a good mood. You know, I I had bought into the uh, Ethereum crowd sale uh, after meeting Vitalik, uh, and uh, I just held those Ethereum. I didn't sell them uh, and. I remember that there was a time um, when uh, it, it was worth enough money uh, to buy a new car. And my wife is like, Brandon, <laughs> uh, 
we should sell these Ethereum and buy a car. Like it's, it's a free car. And I'm like, uh, that's not life-changing money. I, you know, I, we don't need to buy a new car or if we did, we can just buy it without selling the Ethereum. And, and, uh, and then the price of Ethereum crashed and, uh, she was upset with me. She's like, Brandon, we should have sold those Ethereum. And, and, and now, uh, and now we don't have the money. And I'm like, just wait, like maybe it'll go to shit or, or, or maybe, uh, it, it will recover. And, and sure enough, it recovered. Uh, and, and it was during that trip to Israel, uh, that, that she realized that, that we had made the right decision by orders of magnitude. And do you, how do you feel now? I mean, so that, that trip and that whole thing was a big life-changing moment for you. And since then, um, everyone who knows you knows that your health has gotten so much better. And that's like, that was such a life-changing thing for you. Do you, do you feel that, um, crypto can, can get that all that excitement again? Do you think we've ever lost that excitement through this bear market? Is is the same despair? Do we need the same despair in order to actually go back into the bull market again? Because obviously, you know, the despair that we're going through now is nothing compared to the despair of the time that you're talking about. That's true. I, um... Do we need the same amount of despair in order to get through a bear market so we can have a bull market again. Because if we put a level of despair last time at 10, now the level of despair is like at a, I don't know, five, not even like just things were so much worse. The feeling people have, I mean, people left the crypto space. I didn't even know if I was going to work in crypto ever again. And then the bull market came back and everyone got excited again. But now the despair is nowhere near the same as it, as it was then. Do we need that despair in order for the bull market to come back? Or have we have the tides change? Is, is it different this time? I, I don't think that we need that level of despair. Um, I, I think that the market crashed this time because it was actually overvalued. There were so many ICOs happening all the time. I, I think it, for a certain period of time, there was more money raised in, in ICOs than there was in, in venture capital investments, which is a crazy metric. Uh, and uh, there was a, um, there were a lot of scams, and there were a lot of people raising money on, on just a white paper that, that, that couldn't deliver, and in many cases were complete scams and had no intention of delivering. And it was just this giant self-reinforcing hype cycle um, until it wasn't. And then it all came crashing down, and and I think that uh, the price we're experiencing today um, uh, is probably more of a correct price um, uh, with, without all that same hype and a, a, a lot of fake demand. I mean, I, I've been reading reports recently about how over ninety percent, even today, of exchange volume uh, is faked, and that that's going to give a false perception of the market, and that false perception is going to affect prices. And, and so um, if, uh, if crypto is going to succeed, it's not because we went through cycles of, of despair. Uh, it, it, it's because we're creating value and because um, things are happening that, that are, are making the future we want to build a, a reality, not because we had to suffer to get there. If we had to suffer to get there, it, it's just an obstacle along the way. But I don't think it's causative. So we won't have many more bull and bear markets. It'll just eventually continue to just grow stably as long as we're doing the right thing? Um, not necessarily that either. I, I think it's entirely possible that we have bulls and bear markets and and, uh, it, it, and we have periods of despair and periods of gain. 
uh, or it's possible that it increases gradually um, with um, w- w- without falling as deep. I mean, at, at the high point, uh, Bitcoin was about to break twenty thousand dollars, and then at, at the low point, I think it was in the high two thousands. Um, and so that, that, that's a massive drop. That, that's like an eighty-five percent uh, drop in price. Um, but I I'm not sure if we'll see eighty-five percent drops in prices in the future. Are, are we going to see swings of 10, 20, 30 percent, even fifty percent? I I think it's almost certain that we'll see massive swings like that. Uh, but but I, I don't think we need to hit the, the level of despair um, that we hit uh, last time uh, or the time before. But I'm not ruling it out either. So, um, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. You you've probably left some people's heads spinning here, but um, I'd love to have you get on on again in a few months. And for anyone to want to check you out, uh, BrandonGoldman.com. There's his contact information is there. And he's working on a super secret project right now. And um, please keep us updated on how the, how those things go. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Of course. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.